We are in these weeks and have been now for a few months actually involved in an ongoing study of the Apostle Peter's letter, the first of his two letters, 1 Peter. And I invite you now to take a Bible and study along in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. My uh, lovely daughter, Sarah, will be 21 years old next month. And uh, that's a long time, folks, to be a PK or a preacher's kid. When she was about uh, six years of age and old enough, we thought, to be in the worship services of the church, uh, you can imagine it was a time of adjustment for such a little one to sit on a pew. I had been preaching at that time through Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. I think it was about six weeks into Sarah's attendance at church with all those grown-ups when she heard me say again, please turn in your Bibles for our continuing study in 1 Corinthians chapter whatever it was. When all of a sudden, uh, quite spontaneously, most sincerely, she cried out from the depths of her little being for all to hear, Oh, no! <laughs> Not Corinthians again! <laughs> and, and I think ever since then, I've had this haunting thought through the years that any number of sincere folks might be thinking, are we still only in the first chapter of First Peter again? I suppose all of that comes back to me this morning in a fresh way because I'm going to ask you to consider the same four verses that we looked at last week. Now, all together, if you feel the need, let's say, Oh, no, not that sermon Again, beloved, it's not the same sermon, but rather more focus, if you will, on the same text. And I do hope you will not be disappointed, but consider this, this effort to be real nourishment for the soul and, uh, and strength for your journey and mine. And in my further defense, whether you were conscious of it or not, my entire message last week dealt with only the first word in verse 13 of chapter 1, the word, therefore. We address the encouraging truth that our obedience to God, if you remember, if you were here, is a therefore obedience. I wanted you to experience the comfort that comes from knowing that keeping the commands of Christ is the result of His working in us. Working in us to will and to do His good pleasure. The cause and effect principle applied to Christian living. You remember that if you were here. God is always the cause 
of any true righteousness to be found in us. While our practical, or I like to say our practiced obedience, is the effect of his ongoing work of grace in our lives. And he does this until Jesus comes. In other words, whatever true good you may detect in a sinner saved by grace has God as its ultimate source, which is why we so often love to sing, to God be the glory. And I say, to God be the glory alone. And the psalmist uh, gave God the glory, did he not, when he recorded for all time that it was the Lord who was his shepherd. The cause was the Lord who makes him to lie down in green pastures. It is the Lord restoring the soul. But now listen to this familiar phrase. The whole Psalm 23 should be familiar to us by now. It is God as well who what? leads in paths of righteousness for his own, that is, his own name's sake, or for his glory. Something as familiar as Psalm 23, and yet I think it's a curious thing that it has in it the same theology as the teaching of Peter, Paul, and the sermons of Jesus himself. God the cause We, the blessed, that is, receiving the effect of his grace in our life. Which is to say, God is our life. Ours is always a grace-induced obedience from a changed heart. And that changed heart also coming from God alone. I don't know about you, but if I did not know that God is the cause and that His grace is effectual, then any attempt to be what the Bible calls holy, let alone to be holy like the Holy One who called me, would be a very discouraging, if not totally defeating exercise in futility. Because, folks, the flesh profits nothing. And so we need to know that God's commands always come to us with his enabling. We can pursue holiness in all of our behavior, as Peter puts it here in verse 15, because God has shown us the pathway to holiness with every grace to transform us more and more into the likeness of His Son and our Savior, even as we journey on to perfection, which, of course, only comes when Christ comes again. Now, that pathway, and I would refer to some of what I think are its important signposts, is what Peter describes in these four verses. And it's so important that this is the reason I bring us back to the same text before we move on. So let's read verses 13 through 16 of chapter 1 here. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written. You know, whenever we see that phrase, we know it's backed up with all the authority of God himself. It is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I am burdened that this is of such importance to professing believers that we're going to pause and pray and then dig in to this text over these next moments. Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to please you. We want to live as obedient children, but you know well our weakness and the struggles we face on this pathway to holiness. You have given to us everything necessary for life and godliness. And so we turn to this portion of your word in order to know more clearly what you want us to do even as you are faithful to do your work in us. Father, we wait on your word and ask you to change us forever by it, for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want us to take our four verses and work from the bottom up. Uh, Looking at verse 16 and working our way not down... But up to verse 13. You know, all real change in our Christian lives comes always from the inside out. And uh, maybe that's uh, why I'm taking this approach from the bottom up, if you will. Now, I am promising that if you come back next Lord's Day, we will be at verse 17 and not verse 12. I'm not really going totally in reverse You won't be tempted to say, I don't think, oh, no, first Peter again. By the way, you are proving to be very good and uh, patient uh, Bible students. And I believe that God will reward you for the reverence and interest that you are showing in his word. Verse 16. So we're at the bottom working our way up through these four verses. Again, that phrase, it is is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let me say, it is written indeed. In fact, it's written all over the Bible. Uh, It is written as basically the whole story of the Old Testament. For some strange reason, no one has ever told me, it seems like the book of Leviticus is no one's favorite book. Uh, in the Bible. I've had any number of people tell me that they were one time doing quite well reading through the Bible in a program. They started in Genesis and then they'll say, until I got to Leviticus. But I want to say to you, Leviticus really is good for you. Maybe like medicine, but it may not taste always so good, but it's good for us. Every word of God is good for His people. Peter wants to give his mostly Jewish audience, some motivation for holy living. 
now that they have put faith in the true Messiah. And so, in his letter, he is taking them back to the book of Leviticus. He quotes Leviticus. Now, here's just a sampling. I'm not going to have you turn to Leviticus and all God's people said amen. Uh, But I am going to read a few phrases from that uh, book. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore. By the way, do you hear the word therefore? Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am holy. I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus, you shall be holy. For I am holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Is it written? It certainly is. By the way, the verse that I just now read, that of course ended with, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I want you to hear the very next verse after that that's found in Leviticus 19. Because the very next verse, I think, will be tremendously helpful to us as it defines the fact that holiness and our call to holiness is something that is intensely practical and very tangible. So, let me give you the two verses together. They're right there together. You shall be holy, God says, for I am holy. Next verse. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. I am the Lord, your God. Isn't that interesting? Holiness is, you know, not walking around with a a halo that almost shines from the top of your crown. Holiness for the children of the children of God was to be tangibly expressed In family relationships, there is to be a reverence shown. You are to honor your mother and father. It's such an important command, God says. It's the first one he gave that actually is connected with a promise. Long life. Children, you want to live a long life? Obey your mother. Honor your father. There's a lot of reasons why it can produce a long life. Now, I want you to keep that image of holiness as relates, for example, to honoring one's parents. And I want you to connect it with Peter's asking us to live before God as his obedient children. If you'll keep that connection, and I'll remind you of it as we go along, you'll begin to make some some vital connections in understanding the Christian life as a call to holiness, reverence for the one we call Abba, our Heavenly Father. Now, in fact, I'm going to uh, interrupt myself here for just a moment and have you look at a verse we haven't read in First Peter 1. It's really next week's verse and some beyond that, but it's verse 17. Just, just We can do this. We'll get away with it. Let's glance ahead at verse 17 of First Peter 1. Look at the argument Paul begins to use for what we would call ethical behavior from Christians. He says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, 
Conduct yourselves in fear. That word is reverence during the time of your stay on earth. This is a godly fear. It's not related to God's wrath, but rather to his right to be respected. God's right as a father of his redeemed to be honored. The father's right to be obeyed as having authority over his children. So hold that thought and just a little bit more of Leviticus for a moment. We'll move on. Let me give you another verse in that Old Testament book. You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Now listen carefully. And you shall keep, this is God the Father speaking, you shall keep my statutes. It's as though he says, children, here are the rules for the family. Here are the rules of the house. And then he says, I want you to practice them. It's really a Hebrew word that best describes what it means to develop a habit, an entrenched habit. In this case, the habit of respecting and honoring God the Father through our obedience. And then the verse says, I am the Lord, listen carefully, who sanctifies you. I am the Lord who causes you to be set apart and holy. God the cause. Our obedience, the effect. Who does the sanctifying? God. Who is it that consecrates themselves and cultivates the habit of obedience, it is the children of the Father. God sanctifies. He is the cause. The effect upon His true children is that they practice obedience. Jesus put it this way. You say you love me. You say you love me. Do what? Keep my commandments. Whoever knows me, Jesus says, this is the test of a true believer Versus just a professing believer. Whoever loves me, Jesus says, you know what he says? Whoever really loves me keeps my word. The Bible teaches that obedience from the heart is the only real convicting and genuine evidence of one who has been truly sanctified or set apart by God for his own glory. Who is really born again and ready for heaven? It is the one who honors the Father and the Lord and Savior who redeemed him or her and obeys his word. You see, holiness is a whole lot less a mystical and ethereal thing than we sometimes think. I notice in church sometimes some of us put on a a holy face. But what is more telling is what's on your face when someone cuts you off in traffic. It is fundamentally this thing called holiness. A child of God obeying the Father who after all has adopted him. 
Not just taking us in off the streets. And that's a wonderful thing when that happens in our society, in our culture. Adoption is a glorious thing. It's a God-honoring thing. Theologically, the doctrine of adoption tells us that that's what God has done. But he's not just taking us in off the street. The word redemption means he's actually paid a price to get us off the block where slaves were auctioned off and has redeemed us from the slavery of our own sins. Holiness is Christ-likeness showing up in all our behavior, Peter says. You know, in uh, one of my other lifetimes, I really should be much older for all I've experienced by God's grace. Many years ago, I worked in the northeast section of the city of Philadelphia. I can tell you that part of the city where I worked, uh, there was actually, uh, well, brotherly love was something in very short supply, let's say. I lived in a two-story row house with ten boys and girls, ranging from ages about ten, as young as ten, through about seventeen or eighteen years of age. My assignment was to live with these highly dysfunctional court-assigned delinquents and somehow help them transition into the public schools in Philadelphia during the day and then uh, to come home, do their homework, clean up their rooms, teach them some manners to practice a little civility at the dinner table, if you can see all 14 or 15 of us around uh, the table, both young people and staff, they were to clean up their rooms. I was, in fact, a surrogate father of sorts to those kids, most of whom had no idea who their fathers were or what it even meant to live in any kind of a caring household. And I readily confess I experienced far more failure than success. But some kids did make it and moved on with their lives and became productive citizens, perhaps having their very lives actually saved. Now, these memories, and uh, I have to tell you, even some of their faces, though many years ago, flooded back into my thoughts as I meditated this week upon 1 Peter 1.14. Note what it says. As obedient children, do not be conformed, do not be shaped, do not be molded to the former sinful desires, the lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, in your foolishness, in your being unaware of even God's existence. Followed by verse 15, be holy. That is, be different, separate. Separate yourself from all that you were before. You know, there in that group home, we would start out with a new group and I would say, Something like this. All right, guys. If you want to stay here and not go back to juvie, that is in some state-run institution, 
You're going to need to know the rules. The what? The rules. And you will need to practice them. This is about you learning to live a different kind of life. And you need to become different in all your behavior. And then I began to describe the practical ways in which that would demonstrate itself. I said something like, you will treat me and you will treat other staff. You will treat your teachers at school with respect. It took me a while to learn that I had to further describe and define what respect was for this bunch. The rules were straightforward. Things like, you will not beat up on one another. You will learn to solve your problems without resorting to anger, violence, lying, or stealing. It was a tall order. Well, not just for the staff. This was a tall order for kids who had nothing and knew nothing else. In the first few days when a new group of kids arrived, the message that I and my co-workers gave didn't differ a whole lot from Peter's, uh, I'll call it a pep talk here, for those who are starting out on the pathway to holiness. In other words, today's message, Peter's message to us, is really for us spiritual adolescents. I refer to verse 13. Remember, we're working from the bottom up. Let's take the steps outlined in that verse. Step one, Peter says, prepare your minds for action. In the group home, it was something like this. Guys, pay attention. Get this down and things will go a whole lot easier you might even begin to like it here. Now, to the child of God, Peter is saying, wake up. Make up your mind that you have some responsibility, Christian, in this matter of holiness. God has done and will do His part. But make up your mind. The old King James says, I love it. Gird up the loins of your mind. It's the picture of a first century man who, who had to do some running. And so he, he binds up that, that skirt that men wore in those days like a dress and he ties it with a sash so he can freely get on with the business he's attending to. Peter says... You need to pay attention. You need to make up your mind. You need to be alert to this. That you are from now on going to honor your Father in heaven. I wonder if, if how many here this morning may still be in even early adolescence. That period of life where most of us know is probably the most difficult season of life to put aside our own agenda, our own self-absorption, our selfishness, our being driven by our hormones more than our common sense. And it's the hardest time in life to honor, to be reverent, 
And it is for a Christian as well. Make up your mind you're going to honor your Father in heaven. Step two. Peter says, keep sober in spirit. There at the group home, it took this kind of form. Hey, guys, this is serious business. This is your opportunity. Sometimes I'd say because I knew their, I knew their file. This may be your last opportunity to get with it. Keep sober in spirit. Guys, you need to make the most of everything we are trying to do to make you make it. To the child of God, Peter is saying, this is serious. Do you think that Christ shed his blood so you can just drift through the rest of your life with one foot in the world and the other on pretty shaky ground at the threshold of the kingdom? Wise up. This is not some soap opera we're living in. Back in those days when I was at that group home, the soap operas were particularly popular that decade or so. I guess they're still on. I don't know. A while back, I was thinking about some of those and thought about the message for young people in those days that I was working with and, and spiritual adolescents like many of us. And I put a little sentence together. You might appreciate it. The young and the restless, with only one life to live, are giving the days of their lives to mindless vanity as the world turns. God forbid that such an environment of existence would be part of any Christian's life. Let those outside of Christ live their soap opera lives. You and I have serious business to attend to. Yes, he has redeemed us. But he says, consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. You see, the Christian life must not be spent, especially in the American culture. We're a bunch of spoiled spiritual brat adolescents. Aren't you glad you came to church today? The Christian life must not be spent amusing ourselves to death. Keep sober in spirit. The Word of God teaches that every moment before heaven counts. Did you know that? Did you know that every moment of life from the day God saved you will be laid out in bold relief and inspected? One of those truths that gives me trouble is when it says that even every idle word spoken will be brought into account. How much glory is God getting out of the moments of my days as the world turns until it turns no more. That's why I'm glad for step three. That was heavy, I know. Step three, come get encouraged with me. Step three on this pathway to holiness. Peter says, fix your hope. Have hope. 
know, I discovered after working with those young people in that setting that one of the first things we needed to do was restore any sense of real hope in any future. That one of the reasons they were so reckless and life was so cheap, they really weren't too sure about anything concerning their tomorrows. Peter says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How appropriate for Peter, having called them to holiness, as God calls us to holiness, to remind the same people that they are constantly in need and there is an abundant supply of grace. And we have that living hope, you remember, in the resurrected Christ Himself. This is meant to cheer us on in the journey, especially when things get really tough. Those troubled adolescents, you know, they needed rules. But they needed more than our household rules or even threats of jail. Sometimes when no other kids were around, they just needed to be hugged. They needed a safe place to cry because tough guys just don't cry in front of other tough guys. His name was Carlos. He started out as one of my biggest trials. And even after a couple of weeks, he ran away for a full night. Until a burly Philly cop rang the doorbell early in the morning, clutching Carlos by the collar. I said, where did you find him? And the policeman said, down in the cemetery at 48th and Kensington. He was digging up a grave with his bare hands. And he looked it. A little later that morning, the rest of the kids got off to school and sitting down with Carlos. In a flood of tears, I learned that he was trying that night to dig up his grandmother. Of course, high on glue, thought he could actually somehow meet up with her again. He said to me, she was the only person that ever cared about me. At that point, I too began to weep and I said, Carlos, I care about you. You know what he said? He said, I know, Mr. Jim, but you will leave. And it wasn't long after that that I did leave. And to this day, I wonder whatever became of Carlos. Did he make it? Many didn't. But for every child of God put on this pathway to holiness, equipped with every necessary grace, that child of God has a father who will never leave. 
a father who has his rules, a father who knows when to chasten his true sons and daughters, but a father who every day all through the journey watches over, cares for his own. As Peter put it to us, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation that is the coming again of Jesus Christ. Who is it that brings that grace to us? You will know who when you see it comes from nail-scarred hands. Beloved, it is time, it is high time for some of us to prepare our minds to pay attention. Keeping sober in spirit. This is serious business. We need to get on with the pursuit of why we were called. We were called to holiness. To put off the old ways and adopt the rules of the Father's house and practice until it becomes a habit. This matter of Righteousness after Christ. To be holy like the Holy One who has called us. What does holiness look like? It looks like Christ in all our behavior. You see, while it is true that we couldn't offer Him a thing to gain our salvation, but now that we have been redeemed, we have the privilege, the honor of offering Him the the rest of our lives, if it's only another day, moment by moment, as we're about to sing, only one life to offer. Take it, dear Lord, I pray. Nothing from Thee withholding. Thy will I now obey. Thou who hast freely given Thine all for me, claim this life for Thine own to be used my Savior, every moment for Thee. I say, God, help us. And you know what? He will. And I say perhaps to one or more here this morning, since I can't see hearts, only God can. Maybe you've yet to come in off the streets of this world into the safe house of the Father. He's ready to adopt. And you may be His next choice. For you have heard this day, whosoever will may come. The invitation, the door is open. The Father waits and grace abounds. So I say perhaps to someone who has not yet arrived at that address. and It's not quite where you've been living. It's as simple as coming in faith and trusting what Christ has done for you on the cross. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And what that means is you'll become a whole new person. If any man, woman, boy or girl be in Christ, they become a whole new creation. Those old things begin to pass away and the, the new life comes. Belief, trust in Christ. And to the rest of us who have, it's time to get serious. Jesus is coming again.